Good morning. Welcome to this assembly of the Laurel Heights Church of Christ. We promise preaching and teaching from the text of Scripture. But we urge you to open your Bible with us and make certain we are fulfilling that promise. I want to take us to the 23rd chapter of Matthew. And here's the historical setting. It is near the end of Jesus' life on earth. In this section of Matthew, he's doing one of the things he said he came to do. He is convicting the world of sin. In this instance, a specific group of powerful men in the Jewish religious community deserved the rebuke Jesus gave. These men had too much power. They were corrupt, driven by self-interest, with a passion to advance their own agenda, even against God's revealed will. I want to read some of this starting at verse 1 down through verse 26 in Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across land and sea to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? 
So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Have you ever been called a hypocrite? It has a sting to it, doesn't it? The label is thrown around freely these days. Sometimes it becomes nothing but an insult uttered in a place of sound response and without evidence. But it has a sting to it because it goes against your integrity. It carries the charge of being deceitful and insincere and disingenuous. What we want to know is, what does God say about hypocrisy? The English dictionary may be a place to start, and how people generally use the term may be interesting, but most important, and first for the Christian, what does God say about hypocrisy? Matthew 23 is a good place for this study to be located. Jesus saw right through the hypocrisy of these men, and it became time for the exposure of divine light and rebuke. And nobody has ever done this better than Jesus. Who are these hypocrites? How are they described? There will be two parts in this sermon this morning. First, how are hypocrites described by Jesus? And then number two, what are we to do to avoid hypocrisy? So how are they described? We're going to stay right here in Matthew 23 and we're going to learn how Jesus described hypocrites. Number one, they preach but do not practice. Verse 3, last phrase, they preach, but do not practice. That's what hypocrisy looked like then, and it's what it looks like today. People announce principles with an obvious firmness. They announce principles they commend what they say to others. They deliver pronouncements, shout prohibitions, and quote book, chapter, and verse quick 
and forceful to tell others what they ought to do. But in their own lives, those teachings are not exhibited. They preach, but do not practice. Dwight L. Moody said many years ago, and it's been oft repeated, they traffic in unlived truth. I do not condone or encourage anyone to stop serving God because of hypocrites. Don't do that. <clears throat> but if you were to survey people who have given up on religion or walked away from the church, many would express their disdain by calling attention to all the hypocrites. Again, I say, that's no excuse for leaving God. It is both unreasonable and unrighteous to blame God for hypocrites. I do not condone finding your exit because of those you consider to be hypocrites. But there is a charge that is rightly placed on those who preach the right message but never apply it to their own lives. They preach but do not practice. They traffic in unlived truth. They burden others but do not carry the load themselves. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. We all know people who are vocal about what everybody else ought to do. They know what load needs to be carried. They might be right about identifying the load and the need for people to carry that load, but they also know exactly who needs to carry it other than themselves. They can list all the people who ought to pitch in and help, and they are able, but they are never on that list. They know what needs to be done. Let's assume they have... They have that right. They know what needs to be done. They're able to do it. They know the work ought to be done. They can identify loads of problems. They also identify all who should carry the load and solve the problem and do the work and do it now, but you never see even a finger on their body. They keep themselves distant from the work that they can quickly identify that others need to do. Jesus said, Woe unto you hypocrites. They seek the praise of men. They do all their deeds to be seen of others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That's in verse 5. These men Jesus spoke of, scribes and Pharisees, were ostentatious, they were performers. They did things and wore things. They were people of volume. So people would see them and hold them in high esteem and applaud them. Phylacteries were those little boxes they strapped on their forehead containing written passages. Fringes or tassels were worn on their garments and the longer the better. It was all about being seen as righteous and holding power and advancing a crafted, upright reputation. Jesus, before he spoke these words 
in Matthew 23 had previously identified this very practice of being ostentatious. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6 and verse 1, he said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Hypocrites take the stage. They want an audience. The bigger the crowd and the louder the applause, the more gratifying to the hypocrite and the closer they claim to be to God. It is insincere. They're not living out righteousness from the heart to God. They want to be seen. They covet the attention of men. They seek the praise of men. I read a book a few weeks ago about narcissists by a secular writer. But he nailed the very thing that we're talking about in Matthew 23. He said, notwithstanding his occasional illusions of omnipotence, the narcissist depends on others to validate his self-esteem. He cannot live without an admiring group of followers. Number four. They neglect weightier matters. Listen to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Remember, we noted earlier, these men wanted others to carry the loads that they refused to carry. But these men were willing to do the little things and do them meticulously and maybe in an exaggerated way. Jesus said, these you ought to have done, you ought to do the little things. But these men did the little things and ignored the weightier matters. This is one of those places in Scripture where we should observe how the so-called little things are connected to larger foundational principles. Hypocrites are willing to become engaged in the little details, but without connecting those details to the foundational principles upon which life with God is based. They placed more value on the perceived expression of the principle than the principle itself. They scrupulously observed the tithing ordinance given to the Jews according to Leviticus and Deuteronomy. In fact, they overdid it. It was an ostentatious, exaggerated emphasis on details. Outwardly faithful to the details, but without inner devotion to the foundational principles. So this is what hypocrisy looks like. Not preaching what you practice. Placing burdens on others unwilling to carry yourself. Seeking the praise of men rather than pleasing God. And neglecting the weightier matters. Now, we have looked directly into Scripture and we know how bad this is. Jesus tells us what hypocrisy is. 
I'm going to assume that nobody here wants to sign on today to be a hypocrite. We don't have a sign-on sheet for that. So now we are in phase two of the sermon, what should I do to avoid the sin of hypocrisy? I don't want to stand before God condemned by Jesus for just acting like I'm a Christian and not really being one day by day. What do I do to avoid hypocrisy? Okay, from the same book, we've learned what hypocrisy is, the Bible. We're going to learn what we can do to avoid it. I offer these three points. Guard your behavior from the inside out. Not just guard your external behavior, not just appear to be right, not just an act on a stage. Guard your behavior from the inside out. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, the heart in Proverbs 4.23 is not the organ that pumps blood. No. It's who you really are inside. That's where relationship with God through Christ begins and continues from the inside out. So that all outward expression in order to be valid and pleasing to God must be connected to and flow from a heart that is right with God. Back to Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Verse 28, For you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What is Jesus doing? He's getting to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the heart. Being a Christian must always work from the inside out. Here's something we talk about here all the time. Use the Word of God to probe deep inside yourself. Let your thoughts and attitudes and feelings and motives... Always be subjected to the test of Scripture. And when you hear a sermon, when you attend a Bible class, when you read the Bible at home, and you come to teaching about what your heart ought to be, pause and go inside yourself about that. Don't just look at the passage and say, yes, that's good. I've learned that before. That's right. Folks ought to do what that says. Make it personal. James said in James chapter 1, use the word of God like a mirror to see yourself. The real you, the heart. Being a Christian is absolutely impossible in the absence of consistent 
self-examination. Can't be done. You can't do it. You can't be a Christian in the absence of consistent self-examination. I tell you, it's easy to find fault in others and complain and perhaps sometimes within us there's a little juvenile delight that we're so good at finding what's wrong with everybody else. But let me use the imagery that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount and remind us that sometimes we can find splinters in the eyes of others with two-by-fours lodged in our eyes. To avoid hypocrisy, I must guard my behavior from the inside out. And if the Word of God is really at work inside of me, I'm always about the process of adjusting my attitudes and improving my service to God and others all the time. And there will be evidence of that work in my outward conduct, but it will not be for the praise of man, but rather to please God and be genuine. Be certain about this. The Bible says, do not love the world. I think there can be no doubt that one major way hypocrisy manifests itself is a life that appears to be right to the eyes of others based on what is visible. People assume devotion to God, but inside we've let the world come in. And a slow process of indifference and compromise and corruption is gradually taking hold of us on the inside. We may still look the same on the outside. But you have to look inside and be honest about how much the world has gradually slipped into your heart. I've known people who appeared to be righteous over many years. Everybody thought everything was fine. It looked okay from the outside when we saw them. Then there was apostasy, a visible fall into the world of sin that seemed to us like it was sudden when in fact... It is confessed and discovered the devotion we thought was there all along was really not there. The world had slipped in. Listen to James in James 4 and verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If I try to put on an appearance, a pure and undefiled religion, but in my private life I'm serving the world and fulfilling the lust of the flesh, I may fool people into thinking I'm faithful. I may move around and talk all the right talk when really the sensation of the world is killing me from the inside out and God knows it. I want to be a part of the body of Christ while being a part-time worldly person so that I'm tasting and playing around in the world, but also I want to have one foot in the body of Christ. God knows if that's the case. 
He can see right through it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Every one of us need to face and accept the challenge of abandoning the security and comfort of worldly attitudes and lifestyles and let obedience to Christ take us away from the gravitational pull of the world to avoid hypocrisy. Find greatness in service. Look with me back in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, and find verse 11. There is a very simple sentence. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Now, this greatness is not the applause of men, awards and notices and trophies and all that. No, this is the true greatness that is recognized by God. It is found in service, first to God and then to others. It may not in some ways even be known by your peers, some of the genuine acts of service you're engaged in. It may be something like quiet, individual benevolence, praying for the lost, speaking to people about what the Lord offers in the gospel, check your serve. Earlier in Matthew, back in chapter 20, verse 26, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. One more thing. It is character that prepares us for judgment, not reputation. <clears throat> you may perform well before men. Over many years and develop a reputation, a shining resume, a narrative where people proclaim you to be great. That's earthly reputation. But you cannot stand before God and tell Him how well thought of you were among men. Earthly reputation will not be the standard then. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. And then it says, The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And then each one will receive his commendation from God. If you are living one life that people see that looks good, but another life that betrays what people see and what you claim, repentance is the turnaround point for you that is presently necessary and possible because of what the Savior did on the cross. I know you've heard this before. You can fool men, but not God. I read a moment ago, Galatians 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We will stand before God 
and whatever has been hidden will be opened up to him. It is character that prepares us for judgment, not reputation. And good, genuine, pure character means hearing and obeying Jesus Christ every day from the inside out. Initially, entering into relationship with God by faith, repentance, and baptism, after that confession of faith and immersion in water, you arise to walk in newness of life as a disciple of Christ, growing and persevering in good character from the inside out every day. Why not begin now as we stand together and as we sing?